so eternally grateful for the victory that is ours through the resurrection of our King. Today, Lord, as we pause to consider the implications of this resurrected life, I pray that we would have ears to hear exactly what your Spirit is saying to us. And Father, that, that we would open our hearts to be aligned with your vision for the new life we have in our resurrected King. Thank you, Lord, for this time to pause and worship you. And we ask, Father, that you would grace us with your presence as we study your word. It's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. On Easter Sunday, as you know, we celebrate uh, the fact that the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. It, it is a fundamental tenet of our faith. And, and since Christ was raised from the dead, we know that death has been defeated, but not just for him. Right? Death wasn't just defeated for Christ, but for every person who places their faith in Jesus. Since he was raised, we know the Scripture teaches that we don't cross over from life to death, when we have placed our faith in Him, we move from life to better life, from life to life, confident that our resurrected King is resurrecting us. But listen, if you think the power of the resurrection is solely reserved for what happens after death, if that is your conviction, if it's my conviction, we are sadly mistaken. The resurrection actually wields power for the believer, not just then and there when we cross over, but here and now. The fact is that at the moment that we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in the moment when we are born again, we begin a new life that is powered by the resurrection. At that moment, we begin a new life that is powered by the resurrection. When we baptize people as followers of Jesus Christ, we point to this reality when we say, you are buried with Christ in baptism and what? Raised to walk in a new way of life. You are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new way of life. That statement is actually based upon the inerrant teaching of Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. There is more to the resurrection than what happens after we move on from this life. When believers are baptized, and by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be baptized into Christ. Okay, When believers are baptized, we are formally and publicly identifying with Christ. It is both a celebration and a declaration of two mysterious spiritual facts. 
First, we have died with Christ. Though we're alive, we have died with Christ. That is, we are dead to our old way of life. And the second fact is this, we are raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. As Christ was raised to a new and glorious life, we are raised to a whole new way of life. We say the old has gone and the new has come. But let me ask a question that I hope is occurring to you. What does all that mean? Like, what, what, what are the implications of this new resurrected life that we enjoy in Jesus? Do, do we just see and interpret things differently and thereby gain the understanding and the motivation that we need to establish a new life for ourselves? Is that, is that what's happening? We, we just are looking through a new lens on reality. We see God's reality, and so we know we just have to get busy to establish a new life. Or, or, does this connote a transformation whereby God enables us to live a completely new kind of life that is only possible for followers of Jesus? Is that what it means? Well, the book of Colossians was written to answer those questions. So that we would understand what it means to live a new life. It's a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to a group of new believers who were just kind of trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Christ. What, what, what's this all about? Now you have to remember that at this point in time, they didn't have a Bible they could turn to. These churches that were springing up in these cities were new. There, there weren't Sunday school classes or connection groups or, or discipleship programs. They didn't have mom vibes or iron sharpens iron. All that stuff, it, it, they didn't have it yet. Okay, so they're just trying to figure out what in the world is, is this going to be like? Now, understand, though they were new, they were sincere, certainly sincere in their faith. And they were anxious to get going in this new way of life they had been promised. It is part of what they signed up for. But they were struggling to gain traction. And there was a very good reason for that. The new church in Colossae, like other new churches that Paul was discipling, they had attracted the attention of the enemy. By the way, that's what happens with any well-intentioned follower of Christ. We attract the enemy. The enemy who has designs on our journey. Now, as Jesus taught, he, he revealed to us the intent of the enemy when he said he's, he's into stealing, killing, and destroying any hope of a new life. Now, having lost them to God, and that's what happens, by the way, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are lost to the enemy, and we are in the competent, capable hands of our Savior. So the enemy understands, Satan understood that he had lost them to God, but his objective was, he wasn't going to give up, his objective was to rob them of the joy and the privilege of experiencing the new life they were promised. He wanted to prevent them from stepping into the resurrected life. The new life they were promised in Christ. 
And Satan, for this particular church, had a two-pronged strategy. First, he wanted them to believe that they needed something more than Christ to experience full transformation. Christ was not enough. Second, he wanted them to embrace this mantra, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Meaning that the transformation they desired, what they were pursuing, was only possible if they put the work in. Okay, now remember, that's a message from our enemy who's masquerading as an angel of light. So it sounds like it would be true. But this was his design to prevent them from living the new life. So when, when those two strategies, Christ is not enough, and if it's going to be, it's up to me. When those two strategies of our enemy, of their enemy, intersected, the Colossians would displace their faith in Jesus alone. Displace their faith in Jesus alone replacing it with a scheme that involved Christ plus something else. Okay, that was Satan's objective. Displace the idea of Christ alone and replace it with a scheme that it can involve Jesus, but it has to have something else. There, there were secrets they needed to learn. There were rules they had to follow to get where they wanted to be. That was the message. It was a crippling message that the enemy was saying to them, look, you have been sold a bill of goods. Christ is not enough. That story about the gospel that you've heard, fine, believe it. But there has to be more. Christ isn't enough. You have to have something else. You need something else to do if you're going to reach your potential. Paul was all too familiar with this trap that they were walking into. And so he writes this letter to the Colossians to set the record straight. And if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be primarily in Colossians chapter 2. And so you can turn there or you can open it up in your phone. But in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, this is what Paul wrote. He said, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, do you remember how Satan was saying, look, there's some mysteries, there's some things you have to figure out. Paul's saying, no, 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 nope. The mystery is Christ. The mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Paul's goal was to help the Colossians understand the basis and the basics of their newfound faith. The basis and the basics of living the resurrected life. And so he says here, it is possible... For you to have the full riches of complete understanding. Why? Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that you need to live the new life are found in Christ. They are all available in Him. Now, the Colossians, when they came to faith in Christ, had been taught that. 
The church wasn't irresponsible in what they were teaching. They had been taught that it was Christ alone. They, they knew it's what they believed. But listen, the enemy was sending in false teachers to undermine that critical truth through deception. And when are we deceived? When something seems like it could be true. When it makes sense to us, we, are, we can be deceived. Now this wasn't the first time Paul saw this. So he was determined to put a stop to this false teaching before it really took root within the church in Colossae. Now, what you need to know is that there were essentially two different groups going around to, to new churches like the one in Colossae, seeking to spread disinformation about the path to spiritual transformation. Look, this is the reason people go on the spiritual journey. They want to change. They want to grow. They want to be different. So there's a, a yearning in all of us for spiritual transformation. And these groups were stepping into that yearning. Now, one group came from what is basically called the mystery cults. Okay, they taught that there were actually mysteries in the spiritual world that only they could disclose. They were disclosed to the group, and so the group was able to teach other people these incredible mysteries that would unlock their potential for a price. I'll send you the bill. What they would do is find groups of spiritually minded people who were seeking truth, okay, like these new Christians. And they would come and reveal these secrets that promised to unlock the varying levels that they needed to climb to experience the bliss of spiritual transformation. There was a journey that you had to go on, and the further you went, the more you paid. By the way, this still goes on today, right here in this town. Now, the second group was known as the Judaizers. Okay, they, they were committed Jews who actually had faith in Christ. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But in their minds, the Messiah was only for Jews. Okay, the Messiah came for the Jews. Now, this obviously presented a problem for Gentile believers who really made up many of these churches, like the one in Colossae, because the Gentile believers in Jesus were not and never had been followers of Judaism. They were pagans converted to faith in Christ. So the Judaizers taught that the Gentiles, no matter what order they got it in, the Gentiles actually had to convert to Judaism for Jesus to be their Messiah. So they could come to faith in Christ, but right after they came to faith in Christ, they would need to be Jews. Or they could come be Jews first, and then they could accept Jesus, and he would be their Messiah. The rules, men had to be circumcised. And all the new followers had to participate in the feasts and follow the laws of the Jews if they wanted the new life. Now, this one sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right? This one sounds good because they believe in the one true God and it fits. They were, they were 
doing life according to the teaching of the Old Testament. The other one, the mystery cults, that doesn't seem to fit. So how, how could these two groups actually gain a foothold within this church? Well, whether it was the mystery cults or the Judaizers, the temptation was exactly the same. Exactly the same. Their message was that Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough. To experience new life, it was going to be Jesus plus something else. And in Colossians 2.8, Paul writes and commands them to resist these ministers of disinformation. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one, no false teacher, see to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends upon human tradition and elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. Since the Colossians were not yet firmly grounded in their faith. They had everything they needed to be grounded in their faith, but they had not gotten there. Since they weren't firmly grounded, these hucksters, no matter the group they came from, came with deceptively clever arguments. And and they could literally capture them. The word there is, is actually kidnap them, taking them out of the protective custody of truth and destroying their new life potential. Now, I was very careful not to say they could take them out of the hands of God, but they could remove them from the protective, guiding custody of truth. And if they abandoned the truth, and what was the truth? Christ alone. If they abandoned that truth, then they were forfeiting their potential to live the new life, the resurrected life that Christ established. Now, their teaching was hollow and deceptive. Okay, it was deceptively effective because it actually squared with the thinking of their old way of life. Right? Remember, when we come to Christ... Okay, we're, we're going the wrong direction. We place our faith in, we repent, place our faith in Christ, and turn around. But when we turn around, we are right where we were. Okay, God doesn't just automatically send us over to the great, glorious side of Christian maturity. We wake up right where we were. Okay, and so we are, our, our minds are thinking like they thought. Okay, that, that's what happens when we come to faith in Christ. We now have hope. We're, we've turned around and we begin moving in a different direction. But it's a journey. Alright, so when, when these false teachers came in, they caught them where they were, new in Christ, and they said some things that resonated with the way they used to think. And their minds had not yet been fully transformed so they could enjoy the resurrected life. What were the messages? One was, if it's up, if, if I'm going to change, it's up to me. I have to go get it. The Judaizers said, follow the rules. The cultists said, follow the stars. 
But both of them said, if you want to reach your potential, there is something you must do. In both cases, it was Christ plus something else. And Paul knew that for the new life, Christ plus anything was devastating. Christ plus anything would end their dreams of walking triumphantly in the new resurrected life. Now the heart of Paul's message and the key verses in the letter in the letter to the Colossians is found in chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. So let's look at those two verses. So then, now now pay really close attention, okay? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, in the same way, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, what Paul says is for believers to realize new life in Christ, we must live in Him the same way that we received Him. The process is the same. What does it mean? It means we must depend upon Christ alone. There is no way to heaven apart from Him, and there is no way to the resurrected life apart from Him. Christ and Christ alone. He is enough. And when, when we come to faith in Jesus, the resurrected King, we come believing without doubt That He is an all-powerful Creator, Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who makes the way to life after life. And Paul sums up that belief in a beautiful hymn that he inserted in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. This is He's summing up what we believe about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. That's you too. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." Everything about life, everything about the hope of new life, completely depends upon Jesus in whom the fullness of deity dwells. Now, when we came to faith in Jesus, and by the way, I trust that you have come to faith in Jesus. I hope that you know that you know. I hope that you understand that God loved you so much that He sent His only Son to come and live a perfect life and die on the cross so you could be forgiven for your sins and connected to your Creator. 
Now, when, when you came to faith in Jesus, or when you come to faith in Jesus, we come trusting that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, our hope for eternal life after death completely rests upon His finished work on the cross. See, the Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, had His blood shed so our sins could be forgiven forever. Forever forgiven. The perfect sacrifice. Now, Paul says that just as we began this journey by placing our faith in Jesus... We began that journey with God by faith in the work Jesus did alone. We must understand that we finish this journey and become all that God called us to be the same way. By faith in Christ's work alone. Okay, we don't need anything else. We need to do nothing else to position ourselves to walk in the new resurrected life. That's what he's saying. But then, when we finish his thought and read verse 7, it doesn't seem like he's saying that anymore. It looks like that he's saying that living in him depends upon us doing something. Doesn't it? Look look at verse 7 again. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and ultimately overflowing with thankfulness. Now we know we must be in him, but it seems as though the work of being in him is completely up to us. That's what it looks like right there. As a matter of fact, Paul spells out, Four requirements for new life. It couldn't be clear. We need to be rooted, built up, strengthened in our faith, and overflowing with thanksgiving. That's what's required to live the new life. And all of that requires effort. So what is going on here? It, it, you could kind of argue that What Paul is saying here is Christ plus something else. And that something else actually appears to be my effort. It may not be keeping Jewish law or following the stars, but it's still effort. Or is it? Is is that what Paul is saying? Like, get to work and be rooted, built up, strengthen our faith, overflowing with thanksgiving. Is that what he's saying? Absolutely not. Now, remember when Paul began verse 6, he began by saying, we are to do these things in the same way we received Christ. How did that happen? How do we come to faith in Jesus? By grace, through faith. We are connected to God by His grace through our faith, by His work and our faith. 
The message is clear. We live with Christ as Lord and experience the power of His resurrection in the same way that we received Christ as Lord. By His grace. It's not up to us. Being rooted, being built up and strengthened are all acts of grace. Listen, how do I know that? Because the Greek tense for those activities is passive. That means we are passive participants in those activities. They happen to us. We experience them, but they are done for us. So Paul's message is that as long as we position ourselves in Christ by faith, He roots us. He builds us up. He strengthens us, thereby making us new. Christ and Christ alone. Then, the natural result of Christ's work in us the, the involuntary reflex of our souls is to express thanksgiving. So when we really think about these four things, it's all dependent upon Christ. Even the thanksgiving that we choose to offer is a byproduct of what's overflowing in us because of what Christ is doing in us. In other words, new life, just like eternal life, is still Christ alone. It is still dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as He alone made resurrection our reality, He alone makes the resurrected life our reality. He does these things for us as a merciful act of grace. Why? Because He knows we can't do it for ourselves. We don't wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm going to live the resurrected life. That's not how it works. If we could do that, why would we need Him? And if we could combine Him with something else, then we've diminished His glory. Our resurrected King is no longer King, He's just a partner. So Christ enables us to live the new life. If, if you've ever been frustrated saying, gosh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm like experiencing the change I expected by following Jesus. What are you depending upon? Do, do you find yourself saying, I just have to try harder? I just need some insight. If I had the, the secrets to it, I could, I could make it work. Wrong. It's exactly what the enemy wanted the Colossians to believe. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. He has no new tricks. He's doing the same thing today. So, 
what exactly does Christ do for us to help us live the new life? Well, those four things. First, he roots us. That, that means that through faith in Christ, we have tapped into the source of new life. And everything about the way we respond to the difficulties of this life has been transformed. It's changed. We no longer have to respond the way we used to respond in the flesh. We are dead to the flesh and alive in Christ. Now, I want you to consider God's description of the rooted life from Jeremiah 17.8. Listen to, listen to what God says in Jeremiah 17.8. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It leaves a, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You, you know what God's saying? Our new lives are like trees planted by streams of water. When the drought comes, we need not respond in doubt and fear as we would in our old way of life. God has planted us in the living water, which gives us victory over our circumstances and ensures that we can always produce new life fruit for His glory. That's what Jesus does for us. He plants us in a stream of living water. What else does He do? He builds us up. What does that mean? I love this part. God is building us brick by brick. And you know what that means? That means we aren't where we were. But take heart. If you struggle, if you stumble, we know that we aren't where we're going to be either. We aren't a finished product. By God's resurrection power, we are in the process of becoming exactly who He designed us to be. But we are becoming. He's building us. It's not going to happen overnight. But what Paul is saying is if you maintain faith in the builder, He will finish the work. As a matter of fact, he told the Philippians that he was confident of one thing, and you should be too. Listen to what he said in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until we meet him on the other side or until he returns to take us home, God is doing a great work in us, and He is continuing that great work. So no matter how things look, no matter how you feel about the way things are going, if you maintain your faith in Christ Jesus as Lord, by God's grace, He keeps building. He keeps building, ensuring that the best is yet to come. And listen, this, this is great news of God's grace. You are not defined by your past. You're defined by your future in Him. In Him. He's building a great building. He's not finished. You're not stuck. 
remain in Him. He'll remain in you. And He'll build you for His glory. Then He says that God will strengthen us in the faith we have been taught. Okay, they, they had the right information. By His grace, God has revealed truth through Jesus. It, it, it came in the form of the Word of God being made flesh, dwelling among us. Then, through the work of the Holy Spirit, He established the Scripture, the Word, and it's been passed down through the responsible teaching of His church. And what the Scripture tells us is that when we are exposed to His Word, the Holy Spirit confirms the truth to us and changes our mind, changes the things we think and the things we do so we can live the resurrected life. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, The person without the Spirit... And who's the one without the Spirit? The person without the Spirit is the person who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The non-believer. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. All this stuff is crazy. Of course, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Nope. Listen. Those without the Spirit cannot understand this truth. They cannot understand the truth because they are discerned only through the Spirit. God, by His Spirit, reveals and confirms truth to us when we are living in faith. So when we're rooted, built up, and strengthened in our faith, which, by the way, is passive. It happens to us. God does it for us. What we're doing is experiencing the blessing of living life with God. With God. Listen, with our Creator. And when we're with God, we discern His gracious activity on our behalf. And what happens when we see the good God doing good, world-changing, life-changing things? The natural response to His goodness is gratitude. So in Christ, we are overflowing with thanksgiving. You know, one of the ways that we can discern whether we're in Christ or not is to listen for gratitude. How often do you express thanks? When, when we are overwhelmed by the mercy, grace, and goodness of God, it's just a, it's reflexive. Joy, gratitude, comes out we can't keep it in so in Christ we overflow with thanksgiving even that critical element of gratitude that we, we know we have to offer it's a, it's a sacrifice of praise that critical element of gratitude in the new life 
is solely dependent upon Christ because it emerges from what he's doing as he roots us, builds us, and strengthens us in the truth. So what's the bottom line? The new life that you seek, that you crave, comes from Christ. Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing changes everything. So when people come to you and say, you know what, I, maybe you're stuck because you're lacking something. There, there's something you have to get. There's an extra special blessing that God will give you that will take you to the next level. Or there's something that you need to do in order to be able to realize the new life. If that happens to you, I want you to remember this. It is Christ alone. Your faith in Him is enough. Nothing else is required. And when you choose to walk out your life in faith, what happens is that God, by His grace and mercy comes and begins to do the beautiful work of transformation. Helping you become all He created you to be. Enabling us to reach our potential in Him. Listen, the resurrected King is not only resurrecting you for eternity, He's resurrecting you for the here and now. but it's Christ alone. Nothing else. It's not about what you do. It's about what He did and what He is doing. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? understand what he did for you. Stepping out of eternity into time, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, shedding his blood so you could be forgiven of your sins. Then he was raised from the dead so you could live this incredible new life in him. He came to give eternal life and abundant life. That's forever life, real life, resurrected life here and now. You only step into that through Him. Faith in Jesus transforms and then continued faith in Jesus establishes the new life we yearn for. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, right now, I, I pray for any in this room or those watching online, Lord, who have not come to receive Jesus as King. And we know that it's by grace through faith that we are saved. It's your work. I pray today, Lord, that as Christ has been lifted up, that the Holy Spirit is generating faith 
in those who have not yet been born again, who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. They would trust the resurrected King. And Father, for those of us who have been walking with you, I pray, Lord, that we would resolve to trust Christ and Christ alone. Forgive us, Lord, when we think we need to help you out, that there are some things we need to do if we're going to enjoy the new life. Help us, Lord, just to live in faith so we can please you and experience your goodness. Father, I for one am grateful that Christ is enough. In his name we pray.